On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Bailey, and Bailey was in a 27-year toxic marriage to a controlling narcissist. It's a story of financial abuse, secrets, taking responsibility, and an amazing daughter. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It's that simple, everyone. And now, before we get to our episode with Bailey, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show at NarcissistApocalypse.com. When you get there, top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form or something like that. I have no idea because I've gone a little crazy today. And you press that button. You go to the Guest Form. You fill it out. We go from there. But another way to be part of our show is to go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and to read a letter to your narcissist. To do that, there's a button there. It's on the side of the page. It says Send Voicemail. You click that button, it records up to five minutes. You need more than five minutes, you click it twice, three times, as many times as you need. That is for our letters to our Narcissist Compilation episode. However, if you do not want to read the letter yourself, just send us an email with your letter to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and myself or my old pal Melissa will read your letter for you. Other things on our site, we're now offering high conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with an online parenting company and many of the courses we are offering are created by Bill Eddy. And if you listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. But do you know what else supports the show? Our Patreon, everyone. Yes, we started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow up episodes with former guests and much, much more. 
join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there all the time. So to help support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com slash Narcissist Apocalypse. Woo, almost there, folks. We're almost done. Before we get to the show, before we start the show, I just wanted to say that this story is somewhat complex for how simple it sounds. A whole other part of the story and the types of trauma are revealed in the last quarter of this episode, and I did tear up during those parts. So if I cried, me, then you might need some Kleenex too when it comes to the end of this episode. Also, there are a few sound issues, and I hope this episode doesn't sound disjointed because we recorded for about two and a half hours, and this version is somewhere in the one hour and 30 minute to one hour and 45 minute range. This episode has taken me eight hours to edit, and technically I'm kind of not done right now until I finish this a little intro and then press a couple buttons. So it's been a long day. Um, that's why I'm acting a little wacky right now. I've gotten a little crazy. I've been uh, sitting in front of my computer for a while, but I really want to thank Bailey uh, for being on the show uh, in advance. Um, she was very vulnerable and did a great job. So I just want to thank her. I hope I did you justice with how I edited it. And now it's time for the show. Here is my conversation with Bailey. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Bailey. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We just had a little bit of a chat. It's early in the morning, kind of. For some people, it is. For some people, it's not. Um... (laughs) And I'm just going to get out of my way and your way, Bailey. The floor is now yours. Well, thank you very much. Um, I guess I should start with how it all began. I'm actually um, 50 years old now, and I met my ex when I was 18. So looking back, I think, you know, geez, that was just so young and... um, when we talk about red flags, there absolutely were red flags, but I remember being um, 18 and I just, I didn't know myself. I didn't have any boundaries, boundaries, zero. And I think that came from being raised in the house that I was raised in. Um, my mom and I didn't really have a overly close relationship. I wanted to be close with her, but she was always sort of standoffish and uh, not very loving, I guess, but... Um, she came from a large family and I found all of my aunt and uncles the same. So you just sort of raised that way and you don't think about things. Um, so I met this man when I was 18 and it just makes me laugh because the night I met him, he was inebriated and he rambled on and on about, um, a friend of his, his parents, um, had filed a small claim court judgment against him because he had done some work for him and didn't complete the work and not only didn't complete the work but um, accused him of stealing some tools and of course the empath and me just went right to oh my goodness like who would do that like you know um so 
anyways, we had our first date and I started to let it go. And, but I met him through a friend and she contacted me and said, you know, would you consider going out with him again? And I really don't know why I said yes. Um, because I feel like at that time I was a confident person. I just, looking back, I realized I just had zero boundaries. Like I, I just accepted, I just thought that's the way I, I was treated and I just accepted anything into my life. And so we did uh, go out again and, you know, of course this time he was sober and <laughs> the love bombing was crazy. Um, my, my kids today cringe when I tell them that, you know, within two weeks he loved me and I was beautiful and I was perfect and I was all of these things and he brought me flowers all the time. And like, even um, he would show up at my work. And now looking back, to me, that's a boundary I wouldn't allow today. Like, uh, my work is very important to me. It's never been spectacular, but I've always been a hard worker, and that was my therapy. Like, I'm an overachiever when it comes to my job, and now I would not allow that. Like, don't show up at my work, and definitely don't call me at my work. But he would show up at my work, and usually with flowers, you know, again, how was your day? Very attentive. How was your day? Oh, you know, and very, very interested now looking back. And he's been like this to our whole marriage. Very interested in conflict um, and really on board with me. Like, oh, this person did this to you. And um, I guess in the last 10 years of our marriage, I realized, like, how blown out of proportion he makes things. Like, can't someone just have a bad day? Can't somebody, you know, just have something about them, you know? So, and I've learned so, not- so, so what you're saying is that... Uh, why, early on, he was really trying to point out maybe how people might have wronged you here, or look how they treated you there. You know, as if he yeah. was as if he was watching out for your best interest. Exactly. And looking back now, um, I totally see that. But at the time, because I was you know insecure, and like I said, I didn't really get a lot of attention from my my parents. I thought he was you know so attentive and right on board with everything I did and um, even though I didn't agree with his perspective like he would say something and at that point I was still strong enough just to slough it off and think you know I know the person didn't mean it that way but I always felt compelled to tell him this nonsense but that's one thing I stopped doing the last five years of our marriage like because I and then I would um, get mad at myself like you know Dwayne you're you're not a gossip you're not negative you're not you know please don't share little details with him. Something that just I found maybe sort of an irritant in the day, he would blow out of proportion, and then all of a sudden, you know, you shouldn't like that person and they're out to get you, and it's just a weird mindset. So that, so anyway, that sort of went on, and we dated actually for four years before we got married. So there was plenty of time for me to change my mind. Um, at that time, people were just starting move, to move in together before they got married, and we decided we would do that. Um, another red flag is when I met his family, it was just, it was crazy. Like I had, it's weird because my body will have like a physical reaction to people. Like, it's like I have this sixth sense, like stay away from them, you know, be afraid of him, don't tell. And I, and I actually get like a shaking, trembling feeling in my, I didn't know back then that that was called anxiety, which is what I know now. But, um, and I definitely had that meeting his dad. His dad was, um, <clears throat> I would say a malignant narcissist. Like I knew there was a lot of abuse in the family, but it was really weird. Like when you would sit around at family gatherings, so there was four siblings in that family. 
um, everybody, even to this day, pretends like he's this wonderful person. And it's, and I look around the circle and I think, wow, like, you know, he, he physically abused my ex. And the mother is a, a true enabler. So he physically abused my ex. He got it divorced. And he would literally beat him in the garage and say things to him like, don't tell your mother. Um, he did the same thing to his brother, but not so much. But the two sisters... Um, he really uh, emotionally and verbally abused them, like constantly. These girls, like, are, are 90 pounds. And to this day, he'll call them fat. It just kills me. And he's, like, 400 pounds. So that used to anger me a lot. And so I never, I never fit in with that family, and they made it known that I never fit in. Like, it was always uncomfortable. I, you know, would go, and I've broken this habit as well, I would go out of my way for people. I just want to be. I just wanted to be liked. I just wanted to be accepted. I don't do that anymore. It's just a t- complete waste of time. But people don't like you for who you are, um, and then that was a hard lesson to learn. But and I would bend over backwards for this family, and it was just always they were just so rude. So, and it was weird because. Uh, oh, sorry. Continue. I was just going to say it was weird because at the beginning of our relationship, um, my ex totally had my back when it came to that like stood up for me every time you know he would fight with his dad like don't you speak to her that way but i noticed once we were married that's when things really changes once we got married um i noticed he no longer did that he actually enjoyed um it was really bizarre to me so for one second let's just kind of back up a little and give a little bit of uh maybe uh a, a picture of your life at this time. So it's four years later. So you're around 22 or 23 years old when you got married. I was 23. 23. And you are living in small town. Uh, living in a small town, just a small apartment. We lived together for not quite a year before we married. Yeah. And the expectations of what uh, you're supposed to do um, in life, like when you're supposed to get married, all your friends are getting married, you know, in smaller towns, yeah. being general here, but for the most part, people get married younger than they would in a, a bigger city. Um, and the idea of what kind of you're supposed to do is, you know, you, you get married, you, you take care of kids, um, it, more in a small town than in the city, but um, right. especially back then, um, or at least even still like 2000, um, we're still dealing with, uh, this kind of mentality. So you're kind of going in there and what else, you know, besides that belief system, what else is, um, uh, I guess running you as far as, uh, uh, mirroring, uh, you, we know with about the love bombing that has occurred. Um, but as far as like what you like about him, what would you say is the biggest thing? Honestly, the biggest thing looking back was I really thought he was in my corner. Okay. I really thought this is the one person that I've met in my whole life that honestly wants what's best for me. And he's truly in my corner because he told me that all the time. And of course I fell for it. And for those four years, was he generally on, uh, before you got married, was he generally on decent behavior or when did like devalu- did devaluation occur before marriage uh, or? No. Okay. So. Not the halfway through the marriage. Okay. So things really like, 
So in a certain way, you know, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I apologize. And I also apologize to if I insulted yeah, any okay. woman uh, already during this. I didn't mean to. Um, but uh, I guess what how I'm getting at is he eventually morphed into his dad unconsciously. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And my children and I discuss that all the time. Um, I really didn't see him as his father at that point, even though my brother warned me. I like I had lot I had so many red flags I could I'm a seamstress, I could have sewn a dress, I, honestly. So many red flags. But at the time I didn't even know what a red flag was. Like my parents just didn't I felt like my parents weren't my biggest fans, so I didn't understand any of that. Like it's really been a growing process for me over these years. Um one thing I was going to say was when you talked about being in a small town and, and the expectations, it was funny because when I first decided I think I'm going to leave him, I put myself in therapy to help me make that decision. And the therapist said to me, tell me why you got married. And I looked at her and I said, I have no idea. I wasn't head over heels. I said, really? Everybody else was getting married. We were the last in our friend group to get married, and that was the expectation. You got married, and you started a family. And we had a lot of, and I was a stay-at-home mom, we had a lot of stay-at-home moms in our area. So I thought, oh, well, I guess I'll just get on with it. it was, it's sad to say, but it's the truth. And I felt like, you know, oh, I kept convincing myself, like, he's good for me. He's always there for me. He He's in my corner. And so, anyways, life just progressed. And I, when I talk about red flags, his family would also sort of browbeat me in a subtle way, like, you know, you would be nothing without him. You're so lucky to have him. Look how he treats you. Isn't he wonderful? He loves you so much. So it was always, I guess, like constant gaslighting when I look back throughout um, the whole the whole marriage. So we got married, and we, um, I remember we had lived together for almost a year, and the only thing I picked up on was um, he decided he was going to quit his job and start his own business, and I said, you know, we, we don't have the income for this. Um, but he did anyways, and in the meantime, he had purchased this vehicle that he couldn't afford, and it got repossessed. And that was a huge red flag, definitely, but I didn't see that. I just thought, oh, you know, poor so-and-so, he just made a mistake. But he was terrible with money from the beginning, and he's terrible. He's even worse with money now. Like, that never got better. That was a big bone of contention throughout the whole marriage. Um, I've always been good with money, like not good... Uh, you know, I I can invest, but I know how to budget and I know where I can put my money and how to spend it. And that was always huge fights between us. So we, we got married and we moved into our first house. It was actually a farmhouse we rented from someone in my family. And we got a first dog together and he abused that dog. And uh, that scared me. So I thought, uh-oh, uh, what am I doing? I'm in for something. Um he, the dog sort of snarled at me, um, but I was afraid of the dog because I got bit by a German Shepherd when I was younger, and it was a German Shepherd, and, like, why he would bring a German Shepherd home, I have no idea. But, so I was nervous, and I think the dog probably sensed that, and um, he got up off the sofa and walked over and literally punched, like, slammed that dog in the side of the head. And I thought, wow, like, and I found on very quickly, once I got married, that you don't question him. He does what he wants, and if you dare question him, you're stupid. 
And he just, I always say, I use the term barks you down. Like, he was really good at yelling. And, again, I wasn't really used to that. Like, So the, the, the transition of the dating version of him and the married version of him, when this erupted for the first time, when you're used to when you were used to some other way completely before were you at a loss were you wondering who this person was like what was going on with you at that like during those moments i remember just fear and i think that it was like fear of what is going to be in store for me and at the same time it was a weird condition too like it shocked me but I don't know why I was already conditioned because there was no violence in my home growing up. Like there's a lot of mind games and emotional manipulation, but definitely no physical, even between my parents. So I'm not sure even why I accepted that from the get go. I do remember being a newlywed and thinking, um, I, I don't think it's a good idea and looking for apartments, but I didn't have the guts to do it. I didn't have the guts to go to my parents and say, look at I made a mistake. So you you were afraid of being judged? Oh, for sure. My mom was very judgmental. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they didn't like him from the get-go. Like, they never liked him. Um, And the last thing thing you probably wanted to get into was walking back and and then getting an I told you so. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, I knew they disliked him, but I thought once we got married and stuff, they sort of warmed up to him. But that wasn't the case. But... um, so here I am. I'm a, I'm a newlywed in this house. Um, you know, I have a, a little job at a local store or whatever. And all of a sudden we start getting phone calls and from bill collectors. And again, I've never dealt with that. I've always paid my bills on time. Um, my parents always paid their bills on time. And I was, that blew me away. I was like, who are you? And come to find out that he owed like, uh, then it seemed insurmountable, but it was probably maybe five or six thousand um, dollars. And when I questioned him, he was so um, he, so that like he felt so bad. He's like, I know, you know, I, I kept saying to myself, I can't marry, I can't marry. And it's weird how he used the term someone. Looking back, it's weird how that stuck in my head. I'm like, oh well, that's not my name, but um, I knew I couldn't marry someone like this. Like I should have cleaned my stuff up first, and but yet he did. He did marry me like that, and he never once mentioned it. Like all, and so it was really embarrassing for me because so right then I started hiding stuff from anyone who knew me. I wasn't, I didn't, I just became very secretive to my friends and my family, and I didn't share anything. Like my mom and dad would pop in, and the phone would ring like six or seven at night, and be a bill collector, and I'd have to lie. And so. That's why, you know, I do remember not being happy and thinking I was going to leave. And then I got pregnant with my first child. So we decided we wanted to buy our first home. And we moved into his parents' home to save money for a down payment. And that, when my eyes got even more open, because I had to work afternoons and their phone would be ringing and I'd pick up the phone and guess what? You know, Bell wants money. Hydro wants money. They're behind in their car payments. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is where he got it from. But he never told me any of this stuff. Like, looking back, I realized I didn't know the person I married because he's never, ever shared anything with me. Very, very secretive. But that was normal life for them. And when I questioned them on it, 
he said, oh, yeah, well, you know, I learned how to handle money from my mom and dad. They thought giving someone a check when they knew there was no money in the account was a way to pay a bill. And I thought, wow. So that was sort of weird. And I did notice his parents drank a lot. And I was not a drinker at that, at, you know, at that. They would always offer me a drink. And I just had no desire to drink, really. And so we, we saved our money and moved into our first home. And it was definitely not extravagant. He, he decided that I should be a stay-at-home mom, and all his reasons really made sense to me at the time. Like, you know, we, daycare is so expensive. We can't afford two gas. And we, then we'd have to buy you a decent car. And, but it was all about him. You know, I have my job, and I make so much more money than you. And, like, looking back, I see those signs. But at the time, I thought he was reflecting and, and suggesting what was best for our family. I remember realizing at this point, like, okay, he's just not good with money. Um, so we ha- were trying to live on one income and I had to literally hide his bank card because he would take money out for lunch and he used to work downtown Toronto. So sometimes when you're parking, um, he was a tradesman. So, mm-hmm. you know, parking, it could be anywhere from 25 to $40 a day. And he would always you know, instead of like, okay, I can park in this lot for $10 or I have can park right out front for 30. He would always park out front. Like he just, he would never consider our budget or how much money we had to spend. And so I remember one time he had um, come in the house and he had like bags from Canadian Tire. And I said, like, what, what did you buy? And he thought, well, you want me to whatever. I wanted to do something in the house. Um, I studied interior design at college. So I was a real renovator. You want me to do this. So I had to buy these tools to do this job. And I thought, really? Like, I don't have a vacuum. Um, so, I went to get groceries, and of course, he had drained the account. Then he put on the put on his cape. I always call it putting on his cape when he wants to show everyone how wonderful he is. He went into town, returned all his tools that he shouldn't have bought in the first place. And then when he came back, I was expected to be, you know, overjoyed. And aren't you just a great guy? Because you know, you returned your tools to feed our family. But and even though I recognized what was going on at that time, I really felt I was in over my head already. Like there was nothing I could do about it. And looking back, I know that just wasn't the case, but for some reason, that I just thought that. Like, so we it, just for um, one second for people that uh, heard yeah. heard the name before Canadian Tire, just so everyone knows what Canadian Tire is. It is a uh, not like the Home Depot, but it's like um, uh, it's got uh, everything. Um, it's not like Walmart. It's a cross between, uh, let's say, a Walmart and a in a Canadian in a uh, in a Home Depot. Would you say that at best? Yes. Okay. Yes, I would say that. Okay. I love Canadian Tire. It's <laughs> one of my favorite stores. And and once you um, buy something, they give you Canadian Tire money as a perk, which is its own little thing, which you can exactly. spend spend back there. It's a real Canadian thing to do. Yes. Go on to your next purchase. Yes. Um. Yeah, so that happened, and I thought, well, you know, that's really bizarre. And this, and I also realized at that point he needed constant um, appreciation and praise. So I realized that, and we moved on to buy a bigger home because I found out I was pregnant with baby number two. And um, when shortly after we got that home, he quit his job. And I thought... Wow, like I know you just, you know, did that so we'd be approved for this mortgage. And then, but he just left us high and dry. And those moments would always like complete panic mode inside. Like, and that's when I realized my anxiety would start to build. And it was just a constant 
state of chaos, really, my whole marriage with him, was, that he created. And when I would say, you know, why would you quit your job? Well, you know, they're assholes and they don't appreciate me and they're this and they're that. And I'm thinking, geez, the whole company can't be that. Like, they're not small companies they work for. But he would always manage to get a job within less than a month, always. And I thought, well, he must have a good reputation out there is what I thought. Now, my son is in the trades, and he says, that's not really the case, Mom. Like, you know, there's just so many, so much work out there for tradesmen. And, but anyways, uh, but that was my take on that. Well, maybe what he's saying is true because, you know, he does have all these job offers. And so at that time, I had an opportunity to um, open up a decorating store with someone, and I knew I couldn't afford it on my own, so I took on a partner um, I was, I just really, really wanted to do it. Like I said, that's what I did at school. And he would always downplay, you know, interior design is stupid. You know, you live out here. You, you know, I wish people would choose something to go to school for that actually made money. Like he was always putting it down. But yet, um, he really enjoyed it when we sold our house for, you know, more money than what we paid for it because I had fixed it all up. And so he'd reap the rewards, but he really wasn't supportive at any time during any job I ever had. And I'm looking back, I know it was because that was just his control. Like, he never wanted me to have money or to be self-sufficient or on my own. Plus, he'd probably have to do more at the house, which he just refused to do at this point. He was just useless when it came to anything to do with the house. So so, 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 so a big part of uh, the abuse that was occurring up to this point is all about uh, keeping you in a position where you have to be the one asking for money or, you know, just below him in that way. Like financial control is a big part up until this point uh, for for this, for the story. Yes. Financial abuse was definitely prevalent through our whole marriage, but it was done in such a subtle, like a weird way. Like he would deposit um, his check and I would then take that money and pay the bills. And I had full access to money that I wanted, but the problem was there was never any money left over because he ran up debt in the oddest ways. Like, we have to get a sticker for our vehicles here in Ontario, and he wouldn't get a sticker. And then he would get a fine for not having a sticker, and then he wouldn't pay that fine. So then he would they would yank his license. So an $80 sticker at that time would end up being like 560 It was constant weird debt like that, like not filing his income tax. I would have to literally... So every time... A monumental thing like this comes in your life. Like, don't normal people just go out and renew their license and get their stickers and file their income taxes? No, not him. Nothing he could do. He couldn't. He was incapable and still is of doing anything normal, which blows my mind to this day. I don't understand that. Like, he he really does think. I realized um, late, very late in our marriage, that he really does believe he is above the law. Those rules don't apply to him. He doesn't have to do that. And most of the time, sometimes he would get away with it. But uh, so I, I saw weird debt like that coming in. And the fact that, that, remember when I talked about the first night I met him and how they took him to small claims, a judgment that they won, by the way, and his wage got garnished at that time, that was a constant threat our marriage, too. He would always try to do these side jobs and look at me. I'm, I'm making more money, and I'm bringing this in for the family, and you should appreciate me. And But say out of 10 jobs, eight of them weren't done properly. And people would come back. Like, I remember at one job, they came back, and can I say what he did for a living? Uh, sure. Is that okay? Yeah. So he, he was in um, commercial sheet metal, and so his side jobs would include installing a furnace or an air conditioner. 
So he installed a furnace for somebody and he didn't do it properly and they had blowbacks throughout their whole house. So it's like a fine ash. It was a wood-burning furnace. It was a fine ash that went through their whole house that they had to claim through insurance. Well, of course, insurance wants to know the particulars and they sent out, I remember um, TSSA coming to our home, which is like the Technical Safety and Standards Act for, I'm not sure if it's just Ontario or Canada. And I sat there while they interviewed him and he lied. He lied about everything, and um, of course, he if he got a fine, he didn't tell me. He might have done a side job to pay that fine, but it wasn't until a year ago that my one son said to me, you do know that Dad did lose X license because of that, and I said, no. He didn't even tell me that. I had no idea. He continued to do jobs, um, but see, this son is his favorite, so he shares certain things with him. I don't know why he decided to share that with him, but... So in a way, your husband um, is like the work that he does. He's a building, but he, he he's a, a, a very imposing-looking building. And from the outside, it's like, oh, that's a nicely built building. But the little parts inside weren't done correctly. And that building is really just um, – should be con- condemned in a sort of way. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm killing myself laughing right now because when I get to the end of my story about us trying to sell the house, you're going to see how prevalent that is, like really. Um, yeah, so um, that that was becoming a main thing in our marriage. So basically, I was on eggshells all the time because that was such a worry for me. Like, I'm just the type of person, like when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And he's just not that type. Like, he just had no follow through and so dishonest to people. Like, I noticed he had, he's lying was huge but they were little white lies at that time like you know for example if we were at dinner with someone and they relayed a story he would tell that story to someone else and i would think that's not what happened and um at this time my mom and dad were still in the picture they would come out and visit us and she, you know they'd help with the kids as much as they can my mom babysat for me so i would she lived 15 minutes from me at that time so i would drive out drop my kids off drive back into my store work all day drive back out get them drive back and yet he walked around like he would always say to me, our store, it's our store. But he had no part in it. Um, I, I handled all the money. We never had to put any personal money into that business. Um, so that always sort of bothered me. Um, I just, I sort of let that go. I thought, geez, you know, you, you can't even pick the kids up for me. But it's just something, again, like when my, when my friends comment on how strong I am, I realized that strength started to build them because I realized, I'm in this on my own. And, you know, he would say things to me suddenly, constantly, like, well, if the kids are sick, um, you're the one who has to take the day off because why would I take a day off my high-paying job? I make way more money than you. Like, little comments like that he would just suddenly make. And then when I called him on it, he would say he didn't say that. So there was starting, also starting with this, like, roundabout conflict resolution. There was never a resolution because... He just talked in circles to me all the time. And then it would always end with what, if I had too many valid points or proof, the yelling began. This is when the yelling really got out of control. Like he would, very a bully, not so much physical, more like a bullyish mentality. Like if I got frustrated and say tried to leave the room just to cool down, he would stand in my way and not let me leave. Or if I wasn't doing what he liked at that point in the argument, he would walk right up to me and, like, be an inch away from my face and just yell, yell, yell. 
And so that was knocking me down even further because then I was starting to realize, like, I couldn't even have an opinion. It wasn't, you know, his word was the final word and that's it. And he also started at this time to impress upon me, like, you know, we discussed how everything's done. My son likes to say how he does everything half-assed. Um, he was his home renovator, but he refused to let anybody come in the home to fix anything. I would just have to make do. So say my fridge broke down, too bad. You're not calling a fridge a repairman. I will look after it. And he would say, don't you call anyone. And I would listen. Like, that's what kills me. I'm just such a different person now than I was. Why would I listen? I have no idea. Like, you know. And I know if I had called my mom or my dad and said, look, it, like my fridge isn't working, I know they would have helped me. Like, we definitely had our issues, but I know they would have helped me with stuff like that or my brother. But yet I didn't. And so, again, when I look back, um, this is why a lot of people were so surprised when I left because I kept all of this inside. I shared it with nobody. I, was, I felt like uh, it was my problem. Like I said, you just get on with it. There's no point in whining about it. I sort of made this mess, and I'm going to have to deal with it. As far as feeling like you had no way out or where you were uh, during this time, you know, you're not saying anything to anyone, is the belief that, like, you have to be still, like, divorce is not an option at this point. Um, Like, are you thinking that maybe um, everything he says is true uh, about you and, you, you know, your self-esteem yeah. is gone? Because, uh, yep. you know, you're – to get to the point where, you know, you've, you've given up and his constant need for control has worn you down to the point where um, he now has it fully in a sense that you – are you know are you do you get to a point where you're can't get out of bed in some ways yeah absolutely and the thing is i am so not that type of person like i was very independent um very positive but yeah i do remember just like throwing in the towel it was the weirdest thing and from that day on it just it just went downhill because then i started to see him in a different light and i think you know, maybe that's when the devaluing stage sort of came in, lightly. It wasn't heavy, but I would pick up on things like, for example, one time my car wasn't, I had no heat in my car and it was a dead of winter, and, oh, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. Of course, he only made good with promises to other people, too. Like, he would go to the neighbor's house and fix their car, but he would never fix my car. Like, I drive his children around. Like, he was always putting on that tape. His main goal was to make everybody else see how wonderful he was. And he's done a good job of that in some ways, but he never fooled anyone who was really close with me. He never fooled them, but um, even my kids would comment on that. Like, oh, he won't pick me up from dance, but he'll drive out of his way to bring, you know, the neighbor home. And, you know, it was just obvious. And so that was all going on as well. But so I I remember... um, calling him and saying, you know, like I have to, I have an appointment in town, so I'm a seamstress and sometimes they would come to me or I would go to them and I say I have an appointment and I can't see out of my windows because my heat isn't working and, oh, well, uh, he was doing a job with his friend and he said, well, I'll, I'll meet you and right over, I'll come over right now. And, and so he came home, he's only like 10 minutes from the house and, but his friend made the oddest comment. He said, I told my ex that if my wife called me, 
I would just tell her to go to hell. And I thought, that's an interesting comment. I thought, it's because of him I'm in this mess. He was supposed to fix this weeks ago. I've been driving around, wiping my windows down. I finally get mad and put him on the spot. The only reason I came home was probably because his friend was there. And see, it gave him the opportunity to look like, you know, he was saving everything. You know, it made him uh, appear to his friend, like, look what I do for her. Aren't I the best husband? So when I look back, so that was maybe 10 years ago, I realized the, devalu- the devaluation stage had started because he was sort of bad me to some people. And before that, like, I honestly thought that this man still was uh, 100% in my corner. Like, he might be a lot of things, but he's always there when I need him. But that wasn't really the case. Like, when I look back, I see my marriage as it was always in stages, and it was always about him. I just have to get through this stage. I just have to be able to do this, and then we'll be clear, we'll be over, we can start fresh, you know. But the problem is the stages never stopped. They just kept coming and coming. Um, so then, so instead of like the physical and bullying attitude, it was more about lying and secretive. That's, and looking back, I, it makes me crazy because I think, you know, I thought he had learned his lesson, he had changed, but he actually just switched up his tactics. He just thought, well, if she's going to call the cops, then I won't do that anymore, but I'll do this. Um, and, like, now I see things that he does. Like, while, while we've been separated, I see things he does. If I do something that he doesn't like, he punishes me in some way, but I don't care. I don't take it as punishment anymore. I sort of laugh at the stuff. But um, So life sort of went on, and I, I, his family and I still aren't really clicking. Uh, nothing's changed there. Plus, I've lost my family. But... Just my mom and dad, and I'm, I'm still close with one brother and a couple of cousins I was still close with. So, what do you mean and by you lost? That, sorry, what do you mean by you lost your family? We just had zero contact, oh, okay, like no okay. contact whatsoever. Okay. So, because my mom is a bit of a controlling person too, so because she wasn't getting her way and she was frustrated, she just stopped talking to me. Like just, and I just said fine because I I was so stressed at that point. Like that's around the time I kept getting strep throat. I just thought, fine, like, go. But she had, she didn't know actually what I was living with because I didn't tell anyone. I always would keep it to myself. And I never shared stuff with my kids. I Now I know that they know things that went on. But, um, and I realized looking back now, I thought, you know, I'm going to get on with my life. You know, they've always nev- never been supportive with me or kind. And I'm just going to get on with my life. And this is going to be better for me. But looking back, he zeroed right in on me. Like, this is the time that I can, you know, get her in my grasp, my clutches. She has nobody else. Like, I totally see that now, but I didn't at the time. I thought he was being super supportive. I thought he was in my corner again. Um, but he had an agenda, and that agenda was to totally isolate and separate me from anyone. So um, I noticed something when we went to his mom and dad's, and they were quite happy, too, to have my mom and dad in the picture. Um, we went to his family. And all of a sudden, they were a bit nicer to me. And over, like, within the next year or two, we started to get along better. And now I look back and I see it, like, because they're controlling, too. And um, it was just, like, the whole dynamic was just so weird. And and I should say, like, the money situation is still happening, you know. We never seem to have any money. And that's something that, that the kids bring up to me now. Like, they said, you never had money, even though accuse me of spending it all like they said they remember me filling the ketchup bottle up with water to make it go further 
But in, I think when I look back and I see his mindset, it was his job to constantly keep us broke so I couldn't go anywhere. He would subtly threaten me the odd time and say things like, if we ever split up, I won't be the one leaving this house. It was my parents' home. If it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have had this house. Yes, we had to pay for it, but still, I'm thinking, man, you're nervy. Like, but those little subtle put-downs and insults, they stick with you, and they register in your mind. Even though legally, that's not how it would happen. But um, I, I, was, I was afraid of him, really. Like, and I was afraid that he would poison my kids against me, which he has tried. He didn't succeed. But So every gut instinct about him at that started to come in, and it, they've all been 100% true. So I was just, it's like I'm just waking up and starting to realize who this person is. So the less control and stuff he can pull over my eyes, the angrier he gets and does more stuff behind my back. But I didn't realize it at that time. I thought he was mellowing in his older age and he was um, learning lessons and trying to become a good dad and a good spouse, which isn't the case at all. But So, anyways, we were camping. Um, he, of course, been complaining about his job. You know, they're assholes. They don't appreciate it. I thought, oh, my God, here we go again. But that went on for a good two years. And I thought, huh, he's just going to bitch about it because he did have it really good there, like wage-wise and and we, his credit was on track. It's not, it wasn't awesome, but it was good credit. Um, and I thought, okay, things are finally turning around for us. This is great. And we were camping, and I heard him on the phone, and he would disappear. And try not for me not to let him hear his phone calls, and he was on the phone all the time. And I come to realize, and he just said, I quit my job. He just quit his job. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I've suffered with you all these years through all these financial up and downs. We're finally getting on track, and you just quit your job again? Well, they're assholes, and they don't appreciate it. I thought, oh, my God, I can't take this anymore. Like, I said, what's your plan now? My plan is to go out on my own. I said, no. I thought I said, absolutely not. Um, you're terrible with paperwork. We both know that you're awful with money. I said, no, I do not want you to do that. And he just looked at me and said, too bad. And he had been chatting with his friend about it. Well, thinks that I should do this and because you know of course his friend thinks he's wonderful because he's told him he is so I thought this is not going to end well and so that was about almost eight to ten years ago and I really took like not only did I take those rose-colored glasses off I stomped them and threw them in the garbage like I thought you need to wake up here this is like I started to see patterns I'd always made excuses for him and you know he's He's crazy. Like, he's, he's so self-absorbed, and he's so selfish. He never once thinks of the kids. Like, hey, I could do this to my family. He never, and at that time, I realized how unappreciative he was. Um, he had a loyal spouse. He had good good kids. He had a beautiful home. He could care less. He just cluttered it up with junk and hoarded stuff, didn't care what anyone else thought. Like, he really didn't care what we thought of him. And I, re- I so I was realizing all of that at this time, too. Um, so he... Um, went out on his own and that was terrible, terrible time for me because every week, so what he would do is write a check back and we would deposit that check as our income. So every week I'd be on eggshells because some weeks that check couldn't come. Uh, I'd have to wait for him to write it. And he's so, he's just not good at the financial end of it. Like he's so self-absorbed. His whole demeanor is who can I impress this week? And he gets so absorbed in that. And also I noticed he needs to constantly put out fires like, oh, I talked about this person to that person and now I have to go around and fix all these little fires. So he's so self-absorbed in his drama on a daily basis, he totally doesn't think of anybody else. 
And so he told, I said, what about it? Because we have benefits too. And my son had just gotten braces. I said, what about our benefits? Oh, no, no, no. We still have those. I'm paying into those separately and blah, blah, blah. He wasn't. The orthodontist called me, the secretary, and said, you know, your check bounced. And I said, what check? Like, well, your insurance didn't go through, so your spouse came in and left us a check. I'm Because he bails checks all the time. He, he doesn't, like I said. And we all both know he's not good with money. So um, I was really crying on the phone. I was so embarrassed and so defeated. I thought, he lied to me about not having benefits? Like, our son just got braces. And, like, you know, here, braces are, like, I was already, I had to lock in, I had to, like, guarantee I'd pay for them on the phone, and I had, I can't remember how much it was, like, every other month I had to pay $700 or something like that for two years. So, in the meantime, the dentist that sent us to the orthodontist, their bill didn't go through because I had all the kids there, I assumed we had benefits, we didn't have benefits, and that was $4,000 that we that went to collections because we never had that money to pay because we barely had money because we had just started this stupid business. Um, he he breadcrumbed me, I guess, like future faking, like, oh, don't worry, I'm going to put your name on the business and then you can write checks and you can do all the books and never happened. And I know he purposely did that just to keep me out of the loop. Um, we would go, so the first year goes by, not a paper, lick of paperwork in sight and no income tax files. Um, I should mention, like, when he started the business, we had just paid off the last line of credit. That was actually a joint effort. Our trailer was on there. Um, that wasn't him running up a bill, but we did build that into our mortgage. Um, and he was right back at me wanting to use that line of credit. And I was like, we just paid that line of credit off. But, you know, oh, well, you know, he started this business, and, you know, nobody can just start a business with no income, and, you know, I'm going to have to let him use it. Or, like, what are, my, what, are my, what are my chances here? What do I do? Because if I leave him now, I have zero spousal and child support because he basically doesn't have a job. Like, you see how he stuck? Like, I'm thinking he did this on purpose. He stuck me here. He knows the consequences. Um, so, again, here I am feeling like I'm, I'm locked down again. I'm in this box, and it, it was just so frustrating, and... I didn't see it then, but I did. I, when I look back now, I realize how depressed I was, how it settled in. But so, um, of course, he got to use that line of credit. Of course, we couldn't pay it. So I took a retail job. The kids were older at this time, and the oldest could watch the youngest. And I took a retail job that summer just to pay that line of credit. You don't make a lot of money at retail, but it was enough. I just had my paycheck literally went to that line of credit. So I realized then I'm constantly paying his bills too. Whatever he runs up, I'm stuck with. It's either comes out of my mouth or the kid's mouth or, you know, I have to like do this work to get it paid because he just doesn't think of it and that's why he has bad credit. So at that time, I caught him in a conversation with one of our friends bad-mouthing my job. Her job is stupid and she wastes all this time driving. She barely makes anything. And I thought, wow, I'm paying your line of credit for your business that you shouldn't even start it. But Again, I said nothing to any of my friends. I look back and I think, man, I was a vault. Like, I didn't say anything. And I think that came from embarrassment. Like, I was so embarrassed I got myself into this mess. And I just didn't want to tell people, you know, how broke we were. So, anyways, that, that goes on. So, the first year goes by. Um, and the first year goes by, of course, no income tax. No, no paperwork in sight. And I... I started to feel sick to my stomach. I started to feel antsy. Year two goes on. Same nonsense. I have to rely on him. For, at that time, it was total financial abuse because I had to rely on whatever he was going to give me. And I just 
uh, cross my fingers and hope the mortgage will get paid. Um, and I always use, because I could have never have any savings, I always used our mortgage payment as sort of a little savings account. So, because he never paid attention to money. Like, I could have easily started my own savings account, but there was just never any money. He would never look at the bank account or could be bothered with it. But so if we resigned our mortgage and they said your payment's 1200 a month, I would up it to, say, fifteen. And try, because I really, my goal, I, my one of my dreams was to be mortgage-free one day. And so I had it all planned out. So when he turned 55, we would be mortgage-free. Um, and I thought it was pretty smart. I really did. I I looked back and we were naive. I really thought it was pretty smart that I was pulling this off. It was my only savings. And I wouldn't let him touch it. Like, I wouldn't remortgage to buy a new car. I just refused to sign papers. So anyways, the second year goes by, still no income tax filed. So... Come to find out, I noticed he was constantly getting the mail. Remember, I work from home. Thing out there he is getting the mail again. This went on for probably a month or two. He would constantly get that mail. One day he was gone. I went out and got the mail because I knew he was hiding something. And I found the CRA bill. It just happened to be in the mail that day. And I went inside and I thought, this is what he's been hiding. And I open up, so CRA is income tax that people, the government that you have to pay. His bill was $126,000. And I honestly thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I couldn't believe it. Like, I just thought, wow. This, I, I think I was, at that point, I was so low and so devastated. I think that's why during the separation, I'm so cool now because I already went through all these emotions. So this was five years ago. Um. And I just thought, I can't believe that he can keep a secret as big as this. Not once did he mention. And when I tried to broach the subject, remember, he would just bark me down and we'd end up in a yelling match. But not once did he say, I'm, I, no, I'm worried. This is, this is getting huge. Not once. He just let on like everything was hunky-dory. And that really um, showed me his true character. Because I don't understand how someone can keep a secret that big from their spouse. I own half of this property, too. And I thought, you've put... Everything at Jeopardy here. Like, because they will come for that money. Um, and you won't have a choice. And you have no job right now. So guess what they're coming for? They're going to come for our house. They're not going to come for... So he he comes home, and I'm shaking and trembling, and I'm so angry. And I go out to the garage, and he's there fixing his projects that never get fixed or completed. And I have this piece of paper in my hand. And I say to him, what is this? He just looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. But, and that's when I saw the stare, the narc stare that we all talk about, that dead look in their eyes that they look at you as if, you know, they just can't even be bothered with you. And I thought, oh, my God. And I asked him again, what is this? I don't, you know what? It, I, that's not mine. I said, your name is on it. It's a government document. It's absolutely yours. He still tried to say it wasn't his. This went back and forth for five or ten minutes, and I just thought, F you, like I'm not giving up. And and I said, uh, look at this number. Yeah, and then so he finally admitted it was his, and then his next line of defense was, well, I don't know that much. And I said, well, it doesn't matter if you owe this much. This is what our government says you owe, and they will take it. And then it'll be up to you to prove otherwise. This is the number they're looking for. And I could not convince him of that. Nope, I was stupid. I was silly. I was being emotional. And he went to hug me. And I just backed right off, and I said, don't you ever touch me. And he just went, oh, whatever. 
And I walked in the house and I was like beside myself. I thought everything came crashing down. It makes me emotional to still think of it. Um, I think everything that was building <clears throat> and I realized I never knew this man because he keeps a secret. Like, and I realized then this is financial goose. Like he has got us in a predicament um, that we're going to have to get out of. And of course, you know, my leaving plans are on the side burner again because now I might not even have a house to go with me. So um, it, it was not pleasant for probably a month or two. Um, Christmas is coming. I am so stressed out. I have no idea how we're going to pay this bill. And the thing, the government will give you so much time. Like I do find, because he's not filed income tax a lot over the years and his wages haven't garnished. But I find that they do give you a lot of time. Like it could be, you know, two or three years past the date when they'll finally just do something about it. Um, you know, I'm not going to say, of course I knew it was coming because I knew he had filed income tax. Um, but I think it just really, I couldn't believe this man who I thought, you know, all these years at least had my back and was in my corner could do this to me and my family. Like, not even a consideration to his children. And that's when I really saw who he was. 199%. And that's when devaluing went into full force. So I find the income tax bill, um, we're not speaking. I can't even bother to speak to him. And I'm just trying, you know, to be, try to be happy for my kids. They're older um, at this time. They're all living in the house, but they are older. Um, they knew something was up. But I also would never say, your dad did this. I never said stuff like that. I, like I said, I was a vault. I didn't tell anybody. Now, when the think and tax thing came around, I confided in my one friend at dance. We had been friends at that time for nine or ten years because I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. And so she has been by my side since then. Like, I have been completely honest with her about most things since then. And um, so she's in a great support system for me and my brother I confided in my brother and he told me then to leave and when I was he said what do you want to do I said I want to leave he said go with your gut instinct and he said he would help me what happened was Christmas was coming and his family decided that they were going to switch up Christmas and his older sister was going to have it and two of my kids pulled rank and said we're not going and I said what we're not going. I said, you don't want to go just for your dad. And, and so then my other child joined in the conversation and they told me things like, we've never liked them. We're not wanted there. Uh, we're beneath them. They don't even like us. They give all the other favorites presents. And I was like blown away. It's, I wasn't blown away that they thought these things. I was blown away because I thought I'd hit it all these years. And I was like, wow. I thought I just felt like that. Like I tried to hide this from you guys. And, and like, so my daughter was 16 so 16, um, 19, and 21, I think my kids were. And they just said, yeah, we're not going. And so, my, but my daughter was extremely adamant about it. Like, I refuse to go. I'm not going. And so it comes out that the reason why she wasn't going is because she was um, sexually abused about his by her cousin. And... As soon as she told me, I knew it was true because this one boy was completely different. Um, 
there was rumors in a small town. But see, nobody told me because I was family. But there was rumors how he had, you know, hurt this set of twins on the other side of his family. And he was charged. But over the years, to hear my spouse's family talk about it, and they would. They were on a vendetta. Um, they only laid charges because they're jealous of us. And it was just this whole thing. Every time you went to see them, um, the problem was I thought I had protected my child. I wasn't being naive to the situation. But the problem was I think she was the first victim. She was extremely young, um, and I did, wasn't looking for it at that time. So this was this is when I knew I was leaving my husband because um, I watched his whole family um, just up and lie about it. So the boy's mother is the golden child on that side of the family, and they can do no wrong. Doesn't matter. Apparently, it doesn't even matter if you molest other people's kids. Um, they're never held accountable for anything. And when I when that happened, and they just turned on the silent treatment, they wouldn't even communicate. And my spouse handled it by turning on the silent treatment, I thought, oh my God, I'm in the twilight zone again. And I saw, I just looked around, I thought, what I'm dealing with here is a whole family of narcs. Like I saw it clear as day then. Um, and from that day forward, um, that child and my ex have zero relationship because she sees him exactly for who he is. And then she spent her time trying to convince me of that. So I'll go back to so the whole tax thing. So when that happened, and I, again, went and confided in my brother. Uh, he was furious. Um, he said, I don't even know what to tell you. He never liked my ex's family either. But he never told me that until I went to talk to him. All these people were protecting me, but they didn't want to come forward. And I and I see why, because they said, you know, you're too much with him. Like, you, I don't know if you would have believed me. Um, and I think that's true. So... But I said at the time, I didn't know my one child felt so negatively towards my spouse. Um, I thought I couldn't leave because then not only has that happened, but now I'm going to tear the family apart and I have to, you know, get her therapy. I've got to get her focused. I've got to, I can't think about myself at this time. I have to try to keep the family unit together and try to keep the conflict low. And that was my train of thought. And my friend helped me all through that and process it and stuff and, um, and she sort of agreed with me, like, you know, your child right now has to be the focus of everything. Um, so uh, the income tax, uh, so back to my spouse waiting on his job, he finally got, did get his job. And his next concern was to bully me into remortgaging our house. We ended up remortgaging an extra, I think, $120,000. And I was just so, I think I was so broken. Um, I had to meet him there. I wouldn't even drive with him. I said, I'll just meet you there. I bawled all the way home. I cried because I knew this was going to be a turning point in my life. I knew I had to face who he was. And I realized that poor, poor spouse, this wasn't a mistake. This was intentional. And everything he did, he did, he dragged us all down with him. And he did intentionally by, you know, avoidance and building himself up in this inflated ego of his. It was just out of control. Again, no consideration to his children who are living in the home at the time. Um, he knows that my daughter wants to go to university one day. We had no savings for that. I was going to actually, you know, use a line of credit against my house at that time 
because my house would almost be mortgage-free. That was my plan to get her through university. She's, despite all the stuff she's been through, she is extremely smart. And she's very dedicated. Um, and I just thought, wow, like, you are so selfish. You know, even the trauma that our daughter suffered, you don't care. It's always about you. Like, he had no plans for her to go to university at all. So, so fast forward. So, um, because he worked for a school board, he had an in to get me a job um, as a custodian. And it's not a very, um, uh, what's a, a prestigious job. But actually in Ontario, we actually make pretty good money and we have benefit plan package and pension. So, um, I had an interview and I got the job. And that's what paid our house bills. Plus, I was only four hours when I first started, so I still had my sewing income. And I would get up. I got a really good contract that year. It was a $25,000 contract. I would get up at 3 a.m., have a like maybe laze around for an hour, go down to my sewing room. I would work until 1.30 p.m., come up and get changed, go to work until 8 o'clock, come home, and the odd time I'd have to have a fitting or something at night as well. Every time I came home, he was sitting on the couch. I thought, wow, I am literally working myself to death here. And I did that for three years. Three years, his wage was garnished. Three years. And he did nothing at that time. He did no side jobs. He didn't even try to pay that, that tax down. Um, I forced him to sell. He had bought this stupid car when he owned his own business. And I forced him to sell that car just to pay some of his visa off because I refused to pay it anymore. Because he was using his visa to buy gas and lunch because he didn't want me to notice how little money there was actually in the bank account. So now he's running up his visa. So I just thought I said, you continue to do that. I'm not paying it. Um, because in the meantime, I took, I talked to my cousin. I started to branch out more and start sharing things more. And I spoke with my cousin and she was completely shocked because I was always close with her and I never told her anything. And her advice to me was, you're going to go and you're going to buy yourself a vehicle because he had always had as many shitty vehicles. So she said, you have a job now and you have to get, you have, have to have something reliable. So she said, and I want you to get a credit card for your business. And that's going to be, you're going to establish your own credit and that's going to be a start for you. So I took her advice and I did that. Thank goodness. <laughs> because that's how I was able to leave him. Um, so I worked at that job. So that went on for three years and that just ended this spring. So April, before COVID hit, his garnishment was lifted. And within, I'm not even kidding, within a week, he was completely back to his narcissistic, verbally abusive self. And during those three years, he was, because I was so ignorant to him. I know now it's called reactive abuse, because I would fly off the handle and send him these nasty text messages, and it just, and I thought, control yourself like what is wrong with you but I realized I was at my breaking point and I just I couldn't take anymore and it was it really angered me how he had no remorse and no empathy for the situation whatsoever and he never even mentioned his child situation ever again he just stopped talking to his family and I uh, I was just shocked totally shocked by that and um, so during those three years he really catered to me uh, I'd come home, and he would, oh, can I make you a tea? And he would warm my blanket up and snuggle me in bed. Um, he would make sure my iPad was fully charged. He, the house was cleaned, and I thought, wow, I 
here we go. I really think he's learned his lesson. Like, he's a different person. He really gets it this time. He knows he's close to losing us. And, no, when that garnishment was lifted, right back to Mr. Egocentric, verbally abusive self, I couldn't believe it. But this time, I said, fuck you. Um, you're not fooling me again. I'm not in for this ride. And also at that time, I had an inkling he was having affairs. Even though throughout my whole marriage, I would say he was definitely 100% loyal to me. And my friends, some of my friends still don't think he would have an affair on me. But So it, it gets even weirder because this is where my children came into it. Um, COVID hit. So um, we were home 24-7 together because... You know, the school board late, like just said, everybody go home. And we were off till two weeks after the March break, and then we'll decide what to do. And two weeks into it, I thought, oh, my God, I can't retire with him. He, I can't even stand him. And I started to notice a lot of gaslighting. Now, this time, my daughter was subtly sending me things through TikTok about narcissists. And my way to deal with stuff is to work, number one, and research. I love like yours, podcast. That's how I found your podcast. I love, you know, Facebook groups. I love all the videos. And I started researching, researching, researching 24-7. I'm like a dog with a bone when I get on something like that. Like, I want to know what is happening and why it's happening. And I just thought, wow, here I am in the middle of this. And the gaslighting was unreal. Like, for example, and my daughter would point stuff out to me. Like, for example, we woke one night and... She, she loves ice cream. Can you take me for ice cream? I said, sure. We get there. I can't find my bank card. I always put my bank card in the same spot. I said, no big deal. I'll use my business card. So we get our ice cream. We come home. Um, the next day, we're both in the kitchen. My bank card is magically in the same spot that I always keep it. And she's standing beside me. Now, my spouse is working on his computer. We can see each other from the room. And I said to him, did you take my bank card? No. No. And she nudges me. She's standing beside me. And I said, you sure you didn't take my bank card? And he automatically blames my son. No, you should ask, you know, this child. I said, why would he take my bank card? So we go upstairs and we would giggle about it. And she'd be like, I told you, like, he lies about everything. Like, she had his number. Like, and so it was just unbelievable to me. And I'm thinking, all these years, I thought I was losing my memory. Like, I thought, I always internalized everything and blamed myself. And I thought... I know he took that bank card, and I think he just took it to, because he wanted to that day, to make me think I was crazy. Like, the motives are ridiculous to me. Um, so we get through that. So uh, the one the one day, um, he, oh, I know, I so I got called back to work because we had um, an essential daycare come back into our school, so that means that the custodians have to be in. Um, so this was like, you know, two or three months after COVID, like it was in full force. So anyways, I would go to work and all these people would, were emailing me saying, thank you so much for the mask. You know, we really appreciate them. I'm thinking, who are you? So I came home and I was making masks with my mom, a seamstress, and I was donating them like to the hospitals or I was giving them, you know, I was making them for, you know, local people that I knew, like a nurse. Um, and I had, like, a stash, little seniors in my town that needed masks. Um, well, he would put his cape on, and he was delivering my masks out to people at work. 
And I didn't give him permission to do that. So now this time I'm getting stronger and stronger and I've just had enough of the whole situation. And so I said to him, he comes home, he goes, how was your day? I said, actually, I said, it was weird because all these people were emailing me about masks. I said, I didn't give them any masks and I would really appreciate it if you would not go into my sewing room and take my things. Wow. He just got so discombobulated and he was like, he called me a liar. He said, that's the stupidest effing thing you've ever said. You're pathetic. You're disgusting. And he's stumbling to the front door. He's so mad and so beside himself. And he's trying to get his boots on to go out the door. And I just started laughing at him. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, you throw a boundary at you and you just lose it. And I just, I honestly, I even laughed about it to this day. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, how did I not see this years ago? See, before I would have internalized it and thought, oh, you know, he just, like my child says, you make excuses for him. I would say to myself, oh, he's just helping others. He's just trying to be nice. Yeah, at my expense. So he came back in and he yelled at me again and stomping his feet like he was in a real anger fit. So I just said to him, I said, you, oh, he called me names. My daughter, and my child was upstairs in, her, in the room. And so she was listening to all of this. He was calling me names, and I just said to him flat out, I said, I know where this goes from here. So I said, you just better settle down right now. Not only will I call the police, I'm going to call your two sons. And he went out and slammed the door, and I thought, I'm done here. Like, the kids are adults now. Like, at this point, my son is almost 25, and my other one's almost 23. And I thought, I'm done hiding all this stuff. None of us deserve to be treated like that. So I went out and made sure my daughter was okay. And she's crying and she's saying that's verbal abuse and I'm so sick of him treating you this way. And I said, you know what? I said, but just let's go down and get our shoes on. And I said, let's just go out. And I said, we'll just, like at that point, things had opened up again. And I said, we're just going to walk around Walmart and just cool down. I just wanted to remove her from the situation. Well, he meets us in the driveway. And um, he uh, verbally abused you know, Then he, he throws some verbal abuse at me. And then he decides he's going to be the bigger person and tell me that it's my fault and I need to calm down and how dare you behave like this in front of our child. And I, my child said something to him along the lines of everything is your problem. And we got in the car and we left. So I sort of jumped ahead there because that was the deciding factor I was leaving him. But before that, about two weeks before that, this is a very important part of the story. Um, my child decided that she could not, while I was going to essential daycare, she could not stay in that house with him because she was off school. She said, Mom, do you think I could come with you? And I said, sure. I said, um, basically, I, I have to do nothing all day, just make sure they're okay and lock up and stuff. Um, so I said, sure, they wouldn't mind. And the office is way far from the daycare area. So I said, no problem. So she came with me, and then the daycare left, and I cleaned their area. And then she said, can we go to the gym and just, you know, play some basketball for a bit? I said, sure, we can, you know, half an hour or so. Then I have to secure the building. So she gets me in the gym, and she just nails me. Like, what are you doing? You know, this man has treated you X number of ways ever since I've remembered. And she started telling me things that he had done to her and, the, and her brothers. And apparently when I went to work, he abused them. Um, when I came home... He was just so charming. And can I just make you a tea bed? And can I do this for you? And that thing. And she goes, meanwhile, he abused us while you were gone. And she just said, she started giving me examples. 
Um, do you remember how we would grocery shop and he would just always manage to hit my heels with the back of the cart? And I'm like, yeah. She said, you'd make excuses for him. You'd say, oh, that, that, that's just your dad. And I'm like, oh, my God, I do do that. And then she, like another example was, remember that day he called you at work? She said, what he didn't tell you was the dresser you painted for me. He brought it up to the room and he just threw it at me in the room and, and called me names. And, and then she got in her car and she left because she was so angry. Um, now at this point she's 18 and, uh, she said, uh, you know, this is really what happened. And, you know, why do you always make excuses for him? And it was just like, uh, what's that word? Like you're a pivotal moment. And I thought, oh my God, she's right. And she said to me, you are the only one waiting for him to change. He will never change. And she told me then, she said, and this was the deciding factor. I'm leaving for university. She said, I know he's preventing, trying to prevent me from going. That's another part of the story. But she said, um, I am leaving. And if you're still living with him, I will not be back to visit you. And that just did it. In my mind, I thought, I've been protecting these kids or trying to, not doing a great job, as I realize now. My whole life, they are my life. And he's nothing to me. Even nothing. And that made my decision that I was leaving. And uh, so it was the, so it was like, you know, a couple of weeks had gone by and at this point she has zero relationship with him. She refuses to talk to him in the house. Um, she will not back. He tries to bully her and intimidate her all the time. She does not back down from him. Um, during COVID when we we're all home, he doesn't know that, this is when I also started to see things. It's not that I didn't believe her because I know deep down what kind of person he was. I didn't want to accept it. I watched him come in the house and just stand there and stare at her in the kitchen. I was sitting at the table. And so where the, the perspective is, he couldn't see me there, but I could see him doing that. And she said to him, stare at me all you want, but it doesn't bother me. He stood there and he stared for maybe another minute. It seemed like five, but I'm sure it was just a minute. And then he said to her, get over yourself, kid. He goes out and slammed the door. And I thought, oh, my God, that's traumatizing to a child. Like, so the subtle messages. But see, if I was home, he would never say that to her. He would never do that. But when I was, so now I understood totally what she was trying to tell me. When I'm away, so he didn't know I was there, that's what he does. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what adult does that? Like, that's just totally crazy to me. So, uh, yeah, so then the verbal abuse happened in the driveway, and I went to my brother's that night, and I said I was leaving him, and I told him the whole story, and he was pretty annoyed and angry, and my child was with me, and she told him some things, and I was practically throwing up, and I was shaking and nervous, and he said, you need to go home and tell, you know, your spouse this, and you tell him soon, and you're coming to live here if there's a problem. He said, you get it done. Enough of this. And I thought, oh, my God, how many? Because I was still fearful of him deep down. But for some reason, I got up the next morning, and I, of course, was shaky. Um, I didn't want to do it, but I did. I got dressed. I went right downstairs, and I said, we need to talk. And he came in the kitchen, and I said, um, I want a separation. I'm done. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, it's time. <laughs> that was it. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, Wow. So we started the process and I tried to make it extremely amicable. And I told most of the friends who didn't know him 
that it was amicable. We had a lot of mutual friends because I knew that if he ever got a glimpse of if I was going to tell the truth to anyone, he would make it totally miserable and stall for as long as he could. So he went through the whole thing. Uh, like within two weeks, he was dating. And that didn't shock me. It didn't surprise me at all. I found like we had a joint account and he was taking, you know, dating sites. Like he was paying for them for, through that account. So obviously he wanted me to know what he was doing. But he was living in the trailer or the driveway. So that was a bit better. But my child's anxiety was getting out of control because he would come in, throw a hissy fit, leave. And it wasn't until I was away from him on a daily basis I saw actually how up and down his moods were. And the word salad. One day I got a full view of that and I just thought, oh my goodness, he just, and my child, but my child was there beside me and it was over, um, I walked by the trailer and I heard the air conditioning going. And so he came in the house and I said, I was going to stay in the trailer, but you told me the air conditioning wasn't working. And, and he had this big drawn out thing about, I can't even make sense of it to repeat it. And I just looked at my child and we went upstairs and she said, what the hell does any of that mean? And I said, I have no idea, but I said, I'm glad that you're here because, see, I realized when I look back, it would make me crazy. Like, I would start to think, because then he would say, you know, you twist things and, and you know, you talk in circles to me. And, and I realized it's not me, it's you. And that one child was an integral part of, of having me see the light. Like, I couldn't believe how smart that child was at 18. And she had everything she says that he was going to do, he's done to a T. Since that day on, 129%. She's, she has on that peg. So we put our house up for sale. Um, he had told me he was going to buy me out, blah, blah, blah. He dragged that out for almost four months. All of us knew he couldn't get the financing. But he had my hands tied because he wouldn't sit down and sign the realtor papers. So he finally comes to it. I confronted him, and one of his friends was here. So he finally had to agree to sit down and sign realtor papers. And I made him swear in front of his friend. So that's how I got the house listed. We sold it within a week because my house is beautiful. Like, you know, I'm a decorator. I make sure everything looks nice. And the outside, um, him and my son went at it, and he had rented the place. So I said, take all your tools and everything up there. And the yard's clean. It looks good. Uh, we sold it within a week. Really good offer. It came to the home inspection, and I realized that he had cut the trusses out of the attic from the floor to the wall. Just removed them all. And so they didn't want to buy the house. So then we had to get a crew, like a framing crew in to do all that. And then we had to get an architectural engineer to come in and stamp it. And this all goes back to like, I just shake my head and Hank, and he, this is again, how much is that going to cost? Like this is all money that we don't need to be spending, but this is what he does. Like he creates all every mess he has created on his own. Uh, so then I started looking around the house and I realized he had tore the electrical panel apart um, he didn't like cover over the dryer vent when he moved it. He shoved tile in it to cover the hole. Like he had, like, it was just insane. He had all the drain pipes wrong. He had the, he told me he had cleaned out the eaves trough and the gutters. Of course that wasn't done. So my son and I did that one weekend. Like just lie after lie after lie. Now I just, I don't believe anything he says. I just look at him and I say to him, you know, well, you're just a liar. And that infuriates him. He knows he has zero control over me. So my, my one child who was, planning on going to university this is going on during the separation and uh so we're in the kitchen one night and my and the four of us are in there because we're all working on the house trying to get it ready for sale and my one son starts telling about you know the party he had on the weekend he had a few friends over at our house and how the one girl 
like two boys. And so she, you know, was sleeping with one and then ended up on the couch with the other, like fully dressed. It was just, you know, just kids being kids. <clears throat> and he decides he's going to speak up and say, well, you know, she's a girl and she shouldn't be doing this. I've come to realize too, he doesn't really like women. Um, and I looked at him in front of the kids and I never stood up for myself like this. And I said, you're really going to say something right now? Because we all know he's been dating. And he said, what? And I said, uh, at least she's single. Well, he stormed out of the house and we laughed. All three of us were laughing. And he came back in and he uh, threatened my child that was wanting to go to university. And he pointed his finger at her and he said, you better stop it or things could be very difficult for you. So he was basically threatening to pull money. And she said, what's going to be difficult? I'll make things very difficult for you. She goes, go ahead and try it. Like she was, I cannot believe like the strength of this girl that I've raised. Like, and of course we're laughing and that makes it worse. And you know, he's again, like he goes out and he just slams the door and he went to his trailer, like up the road and we were fine with that. But, but her and I were laughing because what he doesn't know is his power is gone. Like as soon as I separated, we filed for her OSAP and because of my income, she pretty well got most of her school paid for and then I have extra money to help her with the residence and stuff but we thought you know he that's when we realized that he has zero power over us we don't need him for anything and it was a really good night I think the three of us just sort of sat there and went wow like he just thinks he's scary none of us are scared are afraid of him anymore so my oldest son um, he went through a really hard time a year ago. He was suicidal. And at that time, I think I was so focused on my child that was molested. I was trying to help her through therapy. And he shows up with these issues. And I find it really interesting because I still wasn't quite putting it together at that time. So the one child who's abused by him is extremely strong and full out, you know, get lost. I'm not talking to you attitude. And the other child, like he was also a target, the oldest. I think he probably got it worse. He was very emotionally abusive with him and always putting him down. And he suffers from low self-esteem. And and um, I think finally everything came to a head for him. But he still couldn't say to me, this is what's happened. Like, he's such an introvert. Like, he just turned it all inside like I guess I did when I was a kid. And um, so he became suicidal. And so I was working 12-hour shifts. And he was approximately, you know, an hour away from me at that time. But my spouse was literally working within 15 minutes of his home. But I would have to say to my spouse, like, can you check on him? Do this today. Check, And he would. He would stop and check on him. So the one, I didn't know this night. Now I make sure I see him once a week. And he's past the rough part. And um, now he's told me, like, when I first saw Dad, he said, and he said, what the hell's your problem? He said, I looked at him and I pointed my finger and I said, you are. You're the problem. My spouse came home and never even mentioned that conversation to me. And I thought, how does that happen? Like, if my child said that to me, I'd be devastated. I would do whatever I could to fix that situation. And that's another thing that, like, I realized, you know, his relationship with the kids is his relationship, and it's not my job to fix it. Or, you know, like my daughter said, you used to always try to, you know, make excuses for him and, and try to, like, foster a relationship there. And, and she threatened me. She said, if you continue to do that, I'm cutting you off. I'm telling you right now, I'm 18. I'm going to do what I want. I want nothing to do with him. I want him out of my life. He's poison, and I feel like he clutters my mind. I can't focus when he's around, and I totally understand what she means by that. And so, again, I really just had to, like, 
you know, he's never going to be put above the children. So, and basically, I think I think that's it in a nutshell. I think that probably comes to the end. We're just currently trying to sell the house, and he comes in every once in a while and plays, tries to play mind games with me. Like, you know, I lectured him about the stove again the other day, and then he gets mad because I won't, you know, answer him because I don't even know what his answer is. I don't even bother looking. So, you know, he comes in and he'll leave, like, you know, his current girlfriend's underwear in my underwear drawer, and I know they're not mine, but it doesn't it doesn't bother me. It just sort of, it makes me giggle actually because I realize how desperate he is. And it makes me sad sometimes because I realize, you know, he's never going to think it's him. He'll never get himself help. This is how he's going to live his life. And he probably won't have a relationship with two of his kids anyway. The, his favorite still tries to see the best in him and tries to talk to him and, you know, feels bad because he thinks he's lonely and stuff. And and so I've, I... I'm amazed at how quick, like how fast I've come through that recovery and I'm already at the other end. You know, I asked him, I offered him my uh, counseling and he just said to me, that's the pot con, the kettle black, because, you know, he's always said, I'm the crazy one. And I said, well, I said, there's five of us in this family and three of us are in counseling, but apparently you don't need it. So, and I think that part just makes me sad sometimes because I, and I, even though I shouldn't, I do think about the next, poor girl's life that's gonna because he can be very very so charming mm-hmm. at the beginning and so like a wrecking ball you know i've been sitting back here uh listening and I, it's it's a sad it's like i sad doesn't uh do the story justice um and thank goodness you know your daughter um, is remarkable. Um, and isn't she like I just and I realized. Sorry, continue. I was just going to say it's funny because um, I've sort of restored a bit of faith in um, religion. Um, I'm not. I've never been overly religious, but she was sent to me for a reason. Like she is remarkable. Like her strength is just. Overwhelming. It's funny because I had the realization the other day, and it's um, how my kids have given me so much strength, and how I realize that all these little games and stuff that he plays right now, they mean nothing. He can't touch me. He can do nothing to me because I have my family. And well, what I really wanted you to know, you know. Where you're you're 50 years old, and that you know, 50 is the new 40 or the new 35, <laughs> and you do have whatever has happened is happened, and there's nothing we can do about it. But you, right. you still have the rest of your life to live, and the rest rest of your life to have a great relationship with your children and you know this is going to be the first time in your life very soon when everything is really eventually all settled that you're going to be drama free for the most part in oh yeah wait in 32 years um and that you can start enjoying 
uh, life again. You've gone through a lot of, I mean, you've lived a life here of, um, you know, being under the thumb of someone else and having them uh, you know, just be on top of everything and, and the type of control that has been exerted over you. Into, it, you've been in jail for 32 years. Yes. And uh, now you're free. Um, and, you know, it's um, something that you don't realize um, while you're going through it, like how this type of freedom, you know, um, is um, special and to, to take advantage of, you know, the time we have left and, and to just embrace everything and... Um, you know, you're you're a different person than you were before, and you're a better person than you were before, and that's um, something that's important for everyone to remember. You know, a lot of us feel that we're damaged, or you know, I won't be able to um, get this or get that, but we're, we, in a certain way, we are better uh, for going through a lot of these things in the, the sense we have more empathy for people. Um, and we care for people and, you know, listening to you today, I mean, you're a wonderful, caring person. You're a good mom and, you know, you just want what is best for people. And, you know, um, I want what's best for you. I, I, I was crying a couple of times during this when you, people didn't, <laughs> hear, when, didn't hear me talking. I mean, it was really emotional and you know, listening to you and what you've been through. I just hope that, um, you know, everything that happens for you going forward is, um, special and, uh, cause you deserve it. And, uh, and your daughter deserves it and your, all of your children deserve, um, you know, good things coming their way. And obviously they'll have their, issues as they get older and, you know, a lot of the things that they learned uh, or saw and behaviors of how they survived might not work for them. They just don't know it yet and they'll have to go through their own kind of growing pains of adjusting to, you know, this is how a normal person acts in a relationship and, you know, this is, you know, they'll, they'll go through that and, you know, learn uh, themselves, but you'll, you know, you'll you'll be there and you're going to be there for them. And, you know, you're a wonderful person. And I just really want to thank you, uh, for being here and sharing your story and being vulnerable, uh, with us. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons for everyone to learn from, uh, your life. Um, so, uh, a big thank you uh, for me. And I guess, you know, before we continue, I guess, to, to the rest of the show or the end, um, uh, you know, where, where I guess, do you go from here um, in the sense of uh, healing? Like, are there certain things like dreams or stuff like that in your life that you're like, this is what I always wanted oh, yeah. to do? And... Um, I guess the words of wisdom for uh, others that are going through it too. So it's funny. You can't see me right now, but I have this huge smile on my face because all of a sudden I'm dreaming again. I can't wait to um, 
get my little house, I'm going to purchase a house, and I'm going to work hard to pay down that mortgage, and I'm going to decorate it to the nines. My, I'm so excited because my uh, son's going to move with me because he sort of got lost um, by his dad in the shuffle, and I'm like, I can't wait. I'm so excited you're coming with me. I'm dreaming of um, decorating again, and I used to draw and paint, and I love to read, and I don't know. For once, I just feel like I'm so excited about the future. Like, I realize now how depressed I was. Like, I don't have that feeling of doom. And um, I and I said to my kids, you don't understand how excited I am because I'm now allowed to be the mother I always wanted to be because he would always try to destroy those relationships. Like I said, if I want to take you out for dinner, I can. You know, if I want to meet you, I can. And that's exciting. And I just love coming home and being by myself. I have no problem being by myself. And as far as um, the healing goes, it's really funny because, like, I have done therapy. I've been in therapy. And I probably will go back in about a year. Once I get settled, I want to make sure that, you know, my head's on straight. But right now, I just feel like I'm so over it. Like, I see it clearly now. And what's done, like you said, what's done is done. It's time just to move forward. And it's just a little funny side story. I had um, a fella show up at my house about a month ago. He had heard I was separated. And he wanted to take me for coffee. And I went to high school with him, but I would never date him in high school. Because I was older than him and I was too cool. So I always turned him down. Um, And he knows where I live because it was my parents' house, right? We bought it. So nice guy and everything. But he got in that car to leave. And I thought the red flags were just falling at the window. I thought, not a chance in hell. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. And I was so proud of myself for recognizing signs. And I no longer feel like that true empath that, oh, you know, he, he was so insistent. I should just meet him for coffee. No, not meeting him. No, no desire. And so I thought, wow, I've really come a long way. And I've really learned. Like, I feel like the universe used to try to slap me in the head with all these signs. And I just refused to see them. But I truly see them now. And I think, and I do understand that meaning of you really have to love yourself first. You have to fill yourself up first. And then you can fill those that you love around you. I never had that feeling before. So, that's about it. Well, Bailey, I really want to thank you for sharing your morning with me and, you know, sharing your story with everyone who's uh, listening. It really was uh, an honor. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was an honor for me as well. And I really enjoy your podcast. It's so interesting to hear other people's stories. Well, you're welcome. Um, You know, this uh, this is my life now. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, one of the, one of my favorite things to do is, is really just to listen to stranger stories. Everyone has a story. Um, and uh, everyone can learn from everyone. So, um, yeah, thank you. Um, and for everyone else who is still listening, I hope you have a good night. <laughs>